Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be discussing the Claudia Gray book, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Schonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. We are going to talk as if you have read this book or as if you don't care about spoilers. In addition, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars, including even the comic book that just came out today. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, anything going on? Before we get to the news tonight, I wanted to point out Barnes & Noble, they do these virtual events every once in a while with authors. And tonight they announced they're going to be doing on June 28th a High Republic panel. Um, it's going to have Kevin Scott, Daniel Jose Older, Justina Ireland, Charles Soule, and Claudia Gray. It's at 6 p.m. It's kind of like a live panel. And when you register for it, you can submit questions. Uh, it's a free event. You can search it and it'll come up. If you've never done one of these virtual kind of panels that they do, I definitely recommend registering for it beforehand. It doesn't sell out, but what I've seen in the past for the really popular ones, uh, Eventbrite has some issues with registering people sometimes day of because you have to have an email to get into it. But these are usually really good. They last, you know, an hour-ish. But it's it's a good panel, so I definitely recommend if people have never been to those to check it out. It'll be out the night before Rising Storm comes out, so oh, okay. I'm sure we'll get a few teases for Rising Storm. <laughs> In collector news, Star Wars Black will not calm down. Good Lord. They had an event called I Am Your Father's Day. <laughs> Here's my question about it. So they had this. Why wasn't it this Sunday? And it was this week. So, you know, I guess, or actually it was last week. Last week. <laughs> it was last week. And then the I Am Your Father's Day, which you would assume would have more like, I don't know, Vader, Luke. There was a Leia toy, but it consisted of basically Rogue One toys. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, okay. Man, you know, they're going to re-release the Archive Leia. Um, they're going to re-release Revan, which Revan is a really good figure if you don't have it. Um, the Rogue One figures, I am glad they are re-releasing these because they're going to have the face scans. Um, if you have the original Black Series Rogue One figures, they are not great. Um, and I only had the Jin and the Krennic. Yeah, and but Krennic's not getting re-released. I don't know why Krennic is not. They did finally add Bodhi. He was the one that has been missing this entire time. So we're getting a Bodhi, and then they have Target exclusives of Galen Urso and of Merrick. You know, yeah. the, the general. Both those look really good. Surprisingly, they were not hard to get from Target. I think you can still pre-order them. Hasbro is. On Hasbro's last like kind of day long thing, they have pointed out they're really trying to be better about their exclusive distribution, um, particularly with Star Wars and GI Joe. It looks like they're really trying, um, but I'll be glad to get Bodie. I'm not going to rebuy these other ones though. I did think it's funny though that K2SO says with face scan technology. 
not real sure how they did that. It looks just like Alan Tudyk's voice. <laughs> I tell you what. And then they had some good pipeline reveals. So they do this thing where they'll show figures and then they, now they just show you pictures of, hey, here's who's coming. We're finally getting Ben Fortuna. He was one of the big missing figures. They're going to do, most of the rest of them will be Mandalorian figures. So Mayfield, Fennec Shan, Cobb Vanth, and they are doing what they're calling Nomad Boba Fett, which is him in the black. Oh, yeah. Without the armor, which will look really good. So that's our toy news. Moving over into the Disney Plus. Uh, Andor. So we do know they've confirmed Force Whitaker is going to be Saul in Andor. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. With that, though, the same report that was listed as a rumor is that Krennic is going to be in Andor, too. Which will be awesome. Speaking of Andor, though, looking at the fake hollow... The real rumor is that Obi-Wan is also going to show up. Look, I'm fine with Saw. I'm fine with Krennic. Obi-Wan can't come on that show. I just... Just an update real quick. The Merrick is currently sold out on Target. Oh, is the Merrick sold out now? Okay. I may have been pre-ordering while you were talking. Sticking with Disney+, Plus, there's two... Mando is apparently a little bit behind on production, so... They're not real sure when it's going to come out, but they have announced that season three is going to go ahead and start filming late this year. So they should be able to push out season three a little sooner. Boba Fett, they have kind of referred to as season 2.5 of Mando. And they have said that, and this is, and this kind of goes with the comics, I guess. The structure of the book of Boba Fett is going to flip between kind of current day and the period after, guess what it'll be, between Empire and Jedi. What? Well, no, no, no. We're, we're being told that in the comics right now. I don't want that. I want after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that's that's a part we don't know about. That's what I can't figure out. Like, they're doing this huge War of the Bounty Hunters thing, which is to show that whole story. Time. Yeah. And so... I kind of thought, like, what if this is their way to get Kira back in? That they're going to tie it into War of the Bounty Hunters? I don't know. Here's here's the thing, though. Like, is it possible that, I mean, if we think back pre-Solo, there was a Boba Fett movie in the works, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there, there flat out was. We know that. It, there were a couple of films, right, that got kind of scrapped after Solo bombed. So I wonder if maybe they've got stuff left over from that. You know, stories they want to tell from the from the Boba Fett movie they were working on. Yeah, maybe so. But I don't I don't think that's going to be interesting for people like show me him now as a crime lord and show me him. Uh, maybe they think it'll maybe don't they don't think people will be interested, but I'll totally be interested watching him living with the Tuscans. You know? Yeah, I think that's what people want to see. Yeah. Why didn't you go after Cobb Vanth? He's right there. He's got your yeah. stuff. Go get it. I want to see him being nursed back to health by Tuscans and right. learning how to ride a bantha. It'll be like Dances with Wolves, you know? <laughs> that would be hilarious. What if they just retold Dances with Wolves? They did. It was called Avatar. <laughs> that is true. And then our big hollow net this week. Fake hollow net. A more trusted source has said they are in talks with Ridley to bring back Ray to Star Wars. 
there are conflicting rumors about what that is going to be. Some rumors say that they're going to use, like people have thought, they're going to use Ahsoka to undo some stuff and pull Ray out from there, kind of her story. The other rumor that seems to come from a more trusted source is that they will use Ray in Mandalorian Season 3 and that there will be a big jump to Season 3 and that we will then somehow see Ray. That the Mandalorian's going to fast forward 35 years? 22, 22 years, apparently. 20, 22 years? I don't see it, yeah. but who knows? You know, with this stuff. I mean, Bla- Battlestar Galactica did it for like one year or whatever, and they got wrecked over the coals for it. Yeah, that's a big jump. Well, plus, yeah. like, you jump that far, 22 years, you're going to have old man Den. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It works for Ob- Boba Fett, so I don't know, maybe it'll work. I get that of the sequel characters, they're the ones that, even if they ignore them, or, or for God's sakes, and I don't want them to, but, re, you know, rewrite them. Like, that she's the character they can't lose. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's the character that most. And, and first of all, John Boyega is probably not coming back. We probably know that by now. Well, I mean, he yeah. said he would come back for Abrams or Kennedy, and that's about it. Which is funny because aren't his complaints a lot of them have to do with how Abrams ended things anyway? Um, I, yeah, I know. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> or maybe he just really hated The Last Jedi. That's possible too, I guess. Raise the character that, like, you know, my daughters have on t shirts, even though they've never seen the movie. You know, like she's the girl Jedi that we have. And so I can see them not wanting to kick her to the curb and try to find something cool to do with her. Daisy really is great in the part. I think the unfortunate thing with Ray is that like, man, the moment you meet her in Force Awakens and that amazing John Williams theme that he created for her, you just fall in love with her. And I don't think the story ever quite got there as, as, as well as maybe we wanted to, you know, or maybe that character wasn't retained throughout the entire trilogy you know Mm -hmm. so she started off with such promise but then again i would say so did the other two and then our last bit of news liam neeson in an interview with jimmy kimmel has said that he was not approached about doing obi-wan i would like to follow that up with sir you're a liar we all know you're gonna hear your voice there is no way we're not hearing your voice oh but chad so wants him as a force ghost if he's just hanging out talking that's fine okay (laughs) <laughs> I just don't want him throwing lightsabers and summoning lightning. I don't know. I could do a force ghost with like flowing majestic hair. I, yeah. I don't hate the force ghost the way Chad does. <laughs> I just hate the fact that Yoda summoned lightning as a force ghost. I think that's stupid. There's a lot of stuff stupid in that movie. And yeah. The, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not the least stupid thing. I, yeah, he's a liar. Yeah. Liar, liar. <laughs> Qui-Gon's a liar. He's either he's a liar slash under an NDA. Like, that's how it works. You know, he has been told, yeah, don't say anything. Mm -hmm. So. So that's all we got for news this evening. I don't know who you are or where you came from. But from now on, you do as I tell you. Okay? Look, your worshipfulness, let's get one thing straight. I take orders from just one person, me. So one day you're still alive. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? So it was my turn this week to uh, pick the book, and uh, I decided to just pick one of my favorites because I'm lazy. We read Leia, Princess of Alderaan, so we thought we'd start off talking about everyone's favorite space princess. Now that her story's kind of complete, I guess the question, you know, Ryan posed earlier, is she the real hero of the Skywalker saga? I mean, she's definitely probably the, like, best character. Yeah, and if you... 
take all the books into account, you know, the ones that are in canon, this and Bloodlines and the movies, she has, I think, a more complete arc than Luke does. The original movies, especially, they're two stories. They go hand in hand, though. Actually, through, through all of them, right? In the prequels, the story is, yes, it's about Anakin's fall to the dark side, but that is tied to the fall of the Republic. As Anakin goes, so goes the Republic. In the original trilogy, yes, it's the story about this rebellion taking down an empire, but it's also about a guy redeeming his father. But they're also connected, of course. And so Leia's kind of the hero of the other half of that story. She's the hero of the rebellion part of that story or the resistance half of that story. I think it's probably impossible to argue against that, that she's more important for the Alliance than Luke is. I think had Carrie Fisher not passed away when she did, yeah, you know, knowing that there was so much more planned for her in Rise, it would have been no question. Yeah. You know, we were supposed to see her kind of, supposedly at least, take up the lightsaber and become the Jedi and all that stuff. Yeah, which would have made it a lot more satisfying. While he's whining about going to Tashi Station, she's actually out there leading a rebellion. Luke doesn't do nothing for nobody until the like the end. He's he's America at the end of World War II coming in going, hey, so we're here now. You're safe. When I was thinking about this, though, like I was like digging through like all Leia's story beats and all that stuff. And I realized like Leia never has a happy ending. No. Especially, you know, once you read these books, like Return of the Jedi happens and the Republic starts and things automatically just go to crap. All the stuff being outed is Vader's daughter and, you know, seeing the Republic is not right. And then she doesn't live to see the First Order fall. And, you know, yeah, she becomes a Force ghost. But as we learned from Qui-Gon, Force ghosts really don't care what's happening on Earth. And I was thinking about that, too. Like... It obviously takes some Jedi power to be the Force Ghost. So I guess, sorry, Han. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm hanging out with my brother now as part of the Force, and uh, I don't really care about you anymore. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know if there's an afterlife for average Joe Star Wars person. To me, when I think Leia, the first thing I think of is her taking the blaster away from Luke in the hallway during the rescue. Mm -hmm. was always the moment where you're like, you know, because the whole idea is she's the princess that's in distress, the damsel in distress, who is way more dangerous than the people that are actually coming to save her. This is some rescue. You came in here, didn't you have a plan for getting out? He's the brains, sweetheart. What the hell are you doing? Somebody has to save our skins. Into the garbage, you flyboy. And uh, so that's always been the moment that's kind of defined her to me. But you're right in the long kind of scope of things. And it, it's weird, like her death has done something odd. Carrie's death has done something odd to her character. She became like a, an anti-Trump symbol mm -hmm. for a while with the resistance t-shirt. You know, she was very vocal about how much she hated Trump. And so after she passed away, people started using Leia's image as, a, as part of the resistance. She's become actually more of an icon since she passed in a weird way. Yeah. Now, let me ask y'all, do you think, is there any character in Star Wars that is so defined by their actor? You know what I mean? Like, for me, Leia is Carrie Fisher. I mean, you know, not as a person, but, like, I don't separate those two. Whereas, like, Mark Hamill and Luke, like, I can read a Luke story and not think about Mark Hamill, but that doesn't happen with Fisher. I think Harrison Ford is more so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at the box office results of Solo. Part of the reason why Solo didn't make money is that people didn't understand. They don't. They couldn't wrap their head around that not being Harrison Ford. 
I knew people that literally asked me, they're like, what's that movie about? I'm like, it's about. It's about Han Solo. And they're like, is, is Harrison Ford in it? There's no difference. That's that's there's no difference there. Um, but yeah, definitely more than than Hamill, I would say. I mean, the three of them are all pretty. I would say one of the reasons for that and probably one of the reasons you don't necessarily think of Ford instantly is that Ford had a career, like a big movie career after that. Ford continued to be a movie star for decades and decades and decades. Fisher never really wanted that. So she never really pursued being a movie star. She really acted in very few films. Hamill's career didn't really, you know, went into a lull until his voice acting career took back off. Yeah. They were almost put in carbonite, right? They were almost carbonized as those characters because you didn't see them forever. You see William Zabka and you're like, hey, it's Johnny from The Karate Kid because you haven't seen him play 100 roles since. Harrison Ford already had his second iconic role by the time Return of the Jedi was over. He was already Indiana Jones. Obviously, she's a favorite of, of fans, but she's also I, I am glad and I'm someone who, was probably, who has been guilty of it in my life. I'm glad we're past the bikini Leia kind of stage. Um, the gold bikini fetish stage. Yeah. And that was, you know, I remember at the time when Disney pulled the plug on that stuff. It was yeah. fandom, a certain section of fandom did not like it one bit. But I think it was the right move, honestly. One of the toxic sections? <laughs> Perhaps. Do you know what it was? It was that episode of Friends. Do you know that episode of Friends? This episode of Friends? Yeah. What about you? I what? Mean, you have any fun, you know, fantasy type things? No. Come on, you gotta have one. Nope. Ross, you know what? What? If you tell me, I might do it. <clears throat> okay. Um, did you ever see, um... Return of the Jedi. Where Ross tells Rachel when they're dating that he has a fetish and his fetish is or is his fantasy is Princess Leia and the slave girl outfit. Do you remember the scene with um, <laughs> Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> well, Jabba had as, as his prisoner um, Princess Leia. Uh... <laughs> Princess Leia was wearing this... Um, gold bikini thing. <laughs> it was pretty cool. At the end, Jennifer Aniston very memorably wears the Princess Leia slave girl outfit. Yeah, oh, Princess Leia in the gold bikini. Oh, every guy our age loved that. <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. mm. It's huge. Yeah, that's the moment when, when, you know, she stopped being a princess and she became like, you know, a woman, you know. <laughs> Did you ever do the, the Leia thing? Oh, yeah. And so, like, that kind of started this kind of open conversation about that being a defining kind of sexual moment in people's lives. And Carrie was always very candid about how she was not a huge fan of having to do that, but how she also dieted her ass off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as she saw the outfit, she was like, well, I'm not eating for the next couple of months. So there was always a very complex thing with it. Obviously, as a child, she's an attractive woman in a state of undress. And you're like, oh, wow. But the implications of what it actually meant for her to be enslaved by Jabba and all that stuff. It's just for a while there, the toy company they started to embrace it wasn't just a little thing they started to embrace it they started to make models of her and the bikini became very popular i think it's the second wave of the black series yeah is you know and i mean i have it because well i buy them all and they never had them when we were kids though there was no original right star you know they didn't make one when return of the jedi came out it only became as gross as it is as star wars fans got older 
Mm-hmm. They were like, hey, you know what? I really want a figure of Princess Leia in the bikini. So as a as a young girl, I did not have or want a Leia bikini costume figure. I had the Ubi's Bounty Hunter figure. And that one's cooler. And that mm-hmm. one's way cooler because she's much cooler doing that stuff than I was reading some articles tonight to get ready for the discussion of Princess Leia in general. And so many of their popular articles are talking about slave and wrapping her chains around Jabba. And okay, so great. But in this day and age, maybe we should move on to doing something else besides looking at her as a slave in chains. They tried it first. What did they change? They changed the name. Hut Slayer. Hut Slayer. That was bloodline. And and I'm okay with that. I mean, the fact that she kills a hut with her bare hands is Mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Because she does. I mean, it's pretty badass. Yeah. What ended up happening, though, is like the powers that be ended up giving into the, yeah, I probably grew up with a little bit of a fetish for that look, right? Or I grew up being attracted to that look. But it wasn't something that I could go buy posters and action figures of. It wasn't something that was sold to me. It was just a little bit of my subconscious, you know. Somehow, seems like in the, probably in the late 90s, even mid to late 90s, they started kind of leaning into it a little bit more. And, you know, if you remember, they even made, I'm a big fan of Gentle Giant, but Gentle Giant did some very kind of provocative Leia and Padme Uh statues early on that were a little kind of like cheesecake. And and so I'm glad we've kind of, they could still be attractive. We've just kind of moved past this phase of like, it shouldn't be fetishized. There's a reason she's in the bikini and, and it makes sense in the story about what's happening. She's first and foremost, a young woman in a great deal of danger who is also kicking ass. But I can't lie. And say that seven-year-old me wasn't changed by that. Seven-year-old yeah. you was very advanced. You still notice those things when you're a kid. Oh, you register yeah. them, they build up. Trust me, Beth, the first time you saw Labyrinth, you noticed. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not saying I didn't. <laughs> I think the two people most responsible for people our age, so like, we're like young Gen X. I think a, a majority of our libidos were either opened up by Carrie Fisher in the gold bikini or David Bowie in Labyrinth. I guess I can't argue that. Almost every woman I know our age. <laughs> I had a crush on Harrison Ford before I noticed David Bowie. That's but, fair. you know, everything built up on itself. Yeah, but, you know, Harrison Ford didn't have that that uh, codpiece. No, he did not have pants, magic pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, but everyone I know, like my wife, who doesn't even watch movies and TV, but it was David Bowie and Labyrinth. Um, and we lost them both in the same year. And that really sucked. As a character, I think, you know, like books that we're, t- like we're going to talk about now. And I think people are hungry for stories about her. They've come to realize <laughs> what a cool character she is she's not just her hair buns she's a badass for moment one in the movie i mean there's a lot of things you can criticize lucas for but he kind of knocked it out of the park with her right (laughs) no one's had to redeem her in a book if you're gonna have like two female characters in your entire trilogy then at least he he made the choice of making that one female character that we see the most like a badass. He, he really got her right um, the first time through. And I think Fisher being, you know, Fisher had that right. You know, if you know anything about her, how she was as a person, like she probably couldn't have played it soft, prim and proper princess. Uh-huh. I love that entire sequence in the movie where she's like, cannot believe this is who came to get me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got to go with them, but come on. This is song rescue. Do you have a plan for getting out? He's the brains, sweetheart. Where's the general I asked for? <laughs> right. Unfortunately, the Rebel Special Ops team are all floating in the scarif orbit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess she knows that So yeah. <laughs> at that point. There are things that have aged poorly in a lot of media we grew up with. She hasn't. 
Mm-hmm. She's aged pretty well. You know, I would say those original three movies have all aged pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like if somebody walked up to her, just some rando and like, says, you're, you're from Alderaan. I served during Alderaan. Did you lose anyone? She'd have punched him in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. That is definitely true. What we would have had with that ninth movie. Right. Like, I feel like we were robbed of that one huge moment. I don't wish that they had done more with what happened. No. You know, I, I don't wish they had created that moment anyway. It does make the way her character. And that's why I really hope we do get a little more fiction written in that era so we can get like a little more rounding out of her character. Well, that little glimpse of her training with Luke was almost worse than if they'd left it out completely because that's so much what I wanted. Oh, and see, there's another like Leia's life sucks it's like all right i get to be a jedi now whoops here's your vision of if you continue with this your son will destroy the universe yeah yeah it's not just that han goes back when you know when ben they lose ben and han and leia have their split it's not just that han goes back to being a smuggler leia goes back to being a warrior she regresses just as much as he does Mm -hmm. and falls back into who she is deep down What's one of the first things we see her do? One of my favorite little ironies in the in the original movie is that they go, "There's one set for stun," and she immediately kills one <laughs> when they capture her, right? But like, hey, just because they're playing doesn't mean she has to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like she's not going to play, and then you know how defiant she is in Tarkin's face and even Vader's face. Uh, and that's a story I've always wanted to see because it's pretty clear she's met Vader before. Yes, and you know we get some of Tarkin in this book. I want to see her around Vader more. We find Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan on her day of demand, which is the first step in a series of steps that will confirm her as heir to her adopted mother, Queen Bria, and therefore heir to the throne of Alderaan. At the day of demand, she has to pick up a heavy sword. I thought Alderaan was peaceful and had no weapons, but... And then promise to do three challenges, one for her body, one for her mind, and one for her heart. For her body, she will climb Apenza Peak, which is kind of like Alderaan's Mount Fuji. Uh, for her mind, she will represent Alderaan in the Apprentice Legislature on Coruscant, which is kind of a... No, it's exactly like a galactic model UN. And for her heart, she will do charity and relief work for planets in need. This is all great and all, but uh, Leia is actually feeling pretty bummed out these days because her parents, uh, the Queen and the, the Viceroy, her father, Senator Bail Organa, haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to her lately. They've been aloof and distant, consumed by their work and giving like fancy dinner parties and stuff, but paying her very little mind. As part of her uh, challenges, she organizes a humanitarian mission to the planet Wobani, a world whose people have been impoverished by the Empire. She outwits the Imperial supervisor there and finds a legal way to liberate a group of refugees off the planet. And on her way home, she witnesses the aftermath of an attack on some Imperial space station. When she gets home, she learns that she done messed up and that Bale had been secretly negotiating with the authorities on Wobani and that Leia's little stunt had thrown a whole Kowakian monkey lizard wrench into his plans. To get her ready to hike up the mountain, Leia takes a pathfinding class with other junior legislators, including Amalyn Holdo of Gatalenta, whom I will be referring to as Holdo or Luna Lovegood for the remainder of the podcast, and other Alderanian apprentice legislature, Kier Domed, who Leia notices is, cover your ears, mom, 
he's handsome. Leia is intrigued by the attack on the space station that they saw, though, and does a little digging. She does a little, like, there's a lot of curious digging in this book, actually. And that leads her to discover a hidden rebel base on Crate, uh, where she finds Bale, and she learns that her parents are part of what we now know as the Alliance to Restore the Republic. Leia is relieved by this, because that's why they've been so preoccupied and wants to help, but Bale forbids it, and wants to keep her as safe as possible in case their efforts are discovered. On another humanitarian mission to Naboo, Leia and Dalny, who's the current queen of Naboo, ask a favor of Imperial Moff Korsh Panaka, who seems a little shaken by Leia's resemblance to his long-dead queen. And he does a little prying and pretty much figures out that Leia is Padme and Anakin's kid right there on the spot. Like, just... Nobody has thought about it, but he just figures it out in like 30 seconds. Uh, but that's okay, because he is immediately blowed up like an accountant in a mob movie. Turns out the assassination was pulled off by our boy Saw Save the Dream Guerrera, leader of the extremist rebel cell called the Partisans. And if you're listening to this show, you, you know who Saw Guerrera is. Though Bale and Bria forbid her involvement in the conspiracy for her own safety, Leia continues her humanitarian missions to worlds that they have kind of deemed safe. When she is faced with resistance from the proud frog-like Nal Hutton species, Leia negotiates their acceptance of her aid in exchange for a favor to be owed in the future. She begins gathering information about planetary abuses that like the Empire is doing and stuff, and she brings all this like evidence to Senator Mon Mothma of Chandrilla, hoping that she can kind of help publicize it. And Mon kind of goes like, listen, kid, this is cute and all, uh, but we're dealing with a super evil space wizard here and proof ain't what it used to be, which seems familiar. Make the Empire great again. Grand Moff Tarkin seems to suspect that Bail and Brea are somewhat involved in the recent turmoil, and he drops by a dinner party on Alderaan that he thinks is a secret rebel meeting, because it really is a secret rebel meeting, but Brea and Bail put on a fake fight, accusing Bail of some very unacceptable behavior with Mon Mothma, and Tarkin leaves out of embarrassment. As Leia becomes closer to Kier and entrusts him with her parents' secret work, they are horrified by the punishment inflicted upon another planet whose leaders had committed a similar kind of treason against the Empire. It's important to point out now that Kier loves Alderaan, like loves it. Yes, he grows to love Leia and she him and all that jazz, but don't be confused. Kier's true love is his home planet. Oh, and somewhere in here, Leia uses the force. She force jumps. I forgot to write it down, but I'm sure Beth highlighted it or something. But Leia totally uses the force actually, a couple times, I think. After more snooping, Leia discovers a hidden shipyard where old and stolen starships are being retrofitted into the Alliance fleet. Tarkin invites Leia to her office, and he is probing her for information on the possible conspiracy. Leia is able to BS her way out of it, but intuits that the Empire is aware of the location of the building Rebel fleet. With the blessing of Bria and Mon Mothma, who cannot disrupt their own schedules for fear of inviting suspicion, Leia rushes to warn the Rebels, commandeering a ship chartered by Holdo Lovegood, and then calling in that favor from the now Huttons, Leia gets herself to the shipyard. She and Luna are able to warn Bale, who evacuates the ships and initiates the self-destruct protocol for their kind of space station repair facilities thing. Then Kier arrives in his own little shuttle, and he's followed Leia and Holdo, don't know how. But then as the explosion goes off, Leia tries to warn him, but he doesn't get out in time and his ship is damaged by the explosion. Leia finds her way onto Kier's shuttle and finds him wounded and dying, but learns that he intended to report the rebels to the Empire to protect Alderaan from retribution. He would rather sell out the Alliance, which by the way, he does believe in, than see Alderaan hurt in any way. A devastated Leia brings his body back to Alderaan, but leaves the information he collected to be destroyed. They lie to his parents about how he died and bury him in the royal cemetery so he could have a beautiful view of the world he loves so much. And Bale and Bria finally give way to the inevitable and bring their daughter into the Rebel Alliance, understanding that they can't protect her anymore and that she'll be a valuable ally in the terrible war to come. At the end, Leia reflects, my parents, my friends, my world. These are the things the Empire can never take away.
Three years later, the Empire would take all of those things away. I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony that will make this battle station operational. My first question is, why does Claudia Gray love us so much? (laughs) I don't know what you specifically did. I read this just, what, within the last year. So I read Bloodline before I read this. And I love Bloodline. And I like getting to know the Leia going from mom to back to rebellion. But I also love the... I mean, she was always a rebel. She was always going to be a rebel. I like getting to see how she became who we knew her to be. There's a little whining leading up to her discovering her parents are rebel leaders. But I I mean, it's a teenage book. It's why it's... She's also very Anakin in this book. (laughs) (laughs) She's also an only child. Mm Mm-hmm. And so she's grown up her whole life with her parents having 100% of their attention on her and all of a sudden they're distant. So I can see why that would be upsetting to her. I mean, I'd be very sad if I had Jimmy Smith's attention for many years and then he stopped talking to me. (laughs) My first real question was, is this a better or worse depiction of Leia than Alan Dean Foster's in Splinter of the Mind's Eye? I know it's tough. (laughs) Uh, Is it? (laughs) Because I just don't know why this is a YA book. Young adult seems these days to mean slightly bigger font when you read it. <laughs> yeah, slightly bigger font and a young protagonist. Which makes no sense, because if it's young adult, you should have better eyes. And I need that bigger font. That's why I read on my Kindle half the time is because I can't. My copy in hard form of Lord of the Rings is like 1,200 pages and it's teeny tiny and I need that yeah. blown up. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting to the point where my my Google Chrome is set at 125%. I think that YA honestly now means there's a young protagonist. And a romance. And a romance. Mm -hmm. Gotta be a romance. It's very interesting how Lucas wanted a princess, but then he also wanted, like, how would you describe the government system of Alderaan? It is a monarchy, right? Kind of. (laughs) I mean, it's like a chill monarchy. Because Amidala is a queen, but that's a democracy. Yeah. This is a real hereditary monarchy. But it's a real hereditary matriarchy, right? Yeah, but they're still super chill about it. Mm -hmm. Like, Bale's just like... Hey, he married in. Yeah, yeah, he's first husband. Right. He's not even king. Yeah, because being viceroy and being a senator at the same time, yeah. Tough life. He got that sweet nepotism appointment. (laughs) So were Bale and Bria right to keep it away from her? Were they making her safer? I don't know if they were making her safer. They know who she is. They know what the Empire... I think they were trying to shield her out of the public eye as much as they could and keep her out of it. Because if, you know, they know. If the Emperor finds out... He's raining hell down on Alderaan. Or at the very least on their family. I mean, I don't know if it's as much. It's definitely about her, but I think it's also about protecting the rebellion. I think this book, she's 16. I always feel like it should have been she was like 13 and made her a little younger, maybe. Because it does feel, you know, I mentioned, I guess, how many years is between this and... New Hope. Is it three? Yeah. They're they're nine they're nineteen when the three years seems like a lot for her to go from this to the actual senator and I don't know. I mean I'm guessing she's in her like first term, right? (laughs) When we meet her in the movies, you know. And she's a major rebellion leader at that point. Like I think that's a lot (laughs) a lot to happen in three years. Here's the thing is I don't understand about him wanting to take her in in the first place is I'm planning on leading a rebellion. Let me take in this child who could be in grave, grave danger if I draw attention to myself and I'm going to go start up a rebellion and get this child caught immediately. But don't you remember the movie, Beth? They've always wanted a little girl. My wife and I will take the girl. We've always talked of adopting a baby girl. 
She will be loved with us. <sighs> and they could have found a little girl lots of places. I'm just saying it doesn't. I wonder if not where they are now. I mean, obviously now she's their daughter and they love her and all this stuff. But in the beginning, when Bale takes her, you know, she's can almost be thought of as a weapon. This is the Skywalker kid. We're supposed to watch after him until it's time to uncover him and give him a laser sword. I mean, that's what Yoda thinks. I, yeah. I'd be like, um, wait, so Luke gets Obi-Wan. Do I get a Jedi? No, but she gets to hide in the most kind of safest place in the galaxy. Yeah, It's not really. Your parents are leading a rebellion. It becomes that, yeah. Historically, though, it is the safest place in the galaxy. <laughs> Grey goes out of her way to make this place seem amazing. Right. Yeah. Just a, a legitimate socialist utopia. But that's that's what makes it seem like it would come even under more fire from the emperor. Like she she would be leaning down on this place even harder because it's the utopia. Whereas everything we've read about Tatooine, Anakin's never, ever going to go back there. Well, it's covered in sand. It's everywhere. If we had just thrown some sand around and made Alderaan a little scuffed up, might have been safer. See, I don't think so. I think you got to think back to when the Republic falls. I don't think they see exactly the future. I mean, it goes on for another two decades with the Senate, uh -huh. keeping Palpatine in check a little bit. Things still go on. These things don't change. They don't kind of change overnight because you would think, you know, when you when you watch the original movie and they go, oh, he's canceled the he's he's abolished the Senate. That means they have had a Senate for the last 19 years. There is still and there's that line by the general. I think it's I forget. Maybe it's Tog or Mahdi who says, um, you know, how will the emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy? Right. The bureaucracy has been an important part of keeping this together. And I think having the rich and powerful think the status quo is still the status quo is actually the best way to keep them quiet. So I don't think you're Palpatine. I don't think you want to mess with Alderaan at all. You want them to think that everything's fine because they're all rich and happy and they don't care about what you're doing to the rest of the galaxy. But also there's we're going from I think she says in this book, there's 40 systems. So we're going from what we saw in the prequels, which is an overwhelming rotunda filled with way too many pods and way too many systems and way too many people or beings down to being, what, 40 systems? It's not much of a bureaucracy. But exactly. But we're in the last years of that. When they mm -hmm. took her in, it wasn't like that, right? When they took her in, it was right as it was all falling. It was also, you know, a pretty last minute decision when they take her in. They didn't take her in in this, in this environment. They took her in in the environment where things, maybe things, I mean, I know a lot of people who thought when Trump was elected, they were like, eh, no big deal. What can he do? And then four years later, they're, you know, pulling their hair out going like, I can't believe what he just did. You hope for the best at those moments. Like, yeah, she's an evil space wizard who killed all the Jedi, but maybe he'll grow into the job. I did like in this book, they point out like on the hollow net and stuff that they edit Sheev. Yeah. They touch up his face. Make him look younger. Change his voice and all sorts of stuff. So it's a it's a deep fake Sheev. This book is basically positing that Brea was the was probably going to be the leader of the Alliance. Uh, I don't know. I feel like she was always more concerned with Alderaan and Bale was always concerned more with the rebellion. Uh, I thought she was pretty militant. Like she was the yeah. militant one. But she's also way more concerned about Alderaan. If Alderaan hadn't blown up, it was going to be her and Mon Mothma. <laughs> yeah, Lady I guys. agree. Leia, do you remember your mother? Your real mother? Just a little bit. She died when I was very young. What do you remember? Just... Images, really. Feelings. Tell me. She was very beautiful, kind, but 
Sad. Bale's the cautious one. Bale's the one that's trying to protect her more. Bale's the one that, that doesn't want to fight, you know, that doesn't want another war because he... General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Bale was just a senator, but he was a senator that was active in the Clone Wars and doesn't want to go through that again. I think that's one thing that I really liked in this book was sometimes, no matter what the cause, the reason Julius Caesar ended up becoming... You know, not quite the emperor, you know, but the reason Augustus became the emperor of Rome is not that they wanted an emperor. It's that they had been having decades of just civil wars and he stopped that. And in this, it's kind of like, yeah, they hate Palpatine. But a lot of these people were like, but we don't want another war. They're having to come to terms with the fact that their actions, they only have one outcome. Mm -hmm. No matter what evil you're fighting, that's still a big decision to make. <laughs> that's still something that the galaxy may not be ready for again. I'm on the Ryan bandwagon here. Like, I want as much stuff as I can get about the Partisans and Infos Nest, yeah. the collaboration that becomes the Rebellion. But you get a little bit in here. I do like to think, had they survived, we would have seen a lot more dinner parties in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. <laughs> we would be honored if you would join us. I also think when they took Leia in, I don't think they were planning on this when they took her in. This is something that's developed over time. Ah, weren't they, you think? Uh, these are he's a politician they think they can handle this politically at first yeah he hopes that the the institutions will hold they even mon mothma even in the certain point of view book even says something about like you know how you know they had fought as long as they could in the proper channels mm -hmm. and what's interesting is bale and brea aren't necessarily warriors but they've got one because they've got a skywalker mm -hmm. she does use the force in this she does yeah, at least once but i think a couple times but she does a force jump when she saves uh what's his name here here, yeah. She does a little force jump and explains how she feels the light, light energy in her body and everything. So I thought that was neat. Mm -hmm. That's something I don't think they've ever shown us before. I did, it gives some good parallels to Padme, too. Like, it yeah. seems to tie Padme's overall story a little more to Leia's. As far as, you know, being this young politician and the junior senate, you had Padme do that same kind of thing in whichever book that was, Queen's, which one was it? The first one. But they're that same kind of Padme. But, yep, she'll get a blaster, too, and get her hands dirty. She's also Brea and Bale's kid, too. Mm -hmm. in a way that Luke doesn't necessarily feel like Owen and Bruce kid. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that Leia knows she's adopted. Yeah, I was real surprised by it. And the whole planet knows she's adopted, not just Leia. Yeah. Why do you tell her? I guess the whole planet, yeah, would have noticed the queen wasn't pregnant. <laughs> right, you've got a monarchy who's paying attention, or people are paying attention to her, so people would notice if she just turned up with a two-month-old baby. Just like, hey, what's up? I just had a baby I was hiding from you guys. Well, she had also had that accident. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. I would like to wish they had said, like, where did this kid come from? Like, what was the story they gave? Clone War Orphan, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is, as the war is ending. Yeah, I guess you're right. There are a lot of orphans. Tens of millions of orphans in the galaxy. Like, I think that's pretty easy. You know, this time through, I was able to pay more attention to all the things that Grey was layering into it. Because actually, she does a really good job of there's a lot of Rogue One and a lot of Last Jedi she's layering in here. Mm-hmm. Rogue One has already come out, so she's using stuff from that. This is part of the road to The Last Jedi, mostly because of Holdo and Crate, I guess, right? Those are the two main things that this is introducing. Yeah. You can also tell Grey just really wanted to write this book. Mm -hmm. I, I would say you can tell she's pretty passionate about everything she writes. That's true. That's true. No, that's fair. But yeah, this, this one, is it, it doesn't feel like she was writing this out of any kind of obligation. She wanted to write this story. What did we think of Kier? Eh, he he was a guy for her to be in love with. I'm not overwhelmed by him as a character at all. 
I liked that he wasn't the one that got her into the rebellion. I was afraid yeah. it was going to be like she follows this guy and finds out he's in the rebellion or whatever, you know, um, and that's how she gets there. I was glad that she discovered it in a different way and that it wasn't him. Or the opposite. They could have written him that he was staunch imperial. Yeah. And instead he just loves Alderaan. <laughs> I also liked that. I mean, at the end of the day, this book, like, here's kind of right. He's kind of proven correct. Mm-hmm. I, I find his end so tragic because he's right. What they're doing is going to lead to doom for Alderaan. What's so funny about Alderaan stories or, or stories like that is like, all you have to do is seen the movie and the book reads completely different. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you had never, if this is the only thing Star Wars you had ever read, you step out of that book going like, ah, she's going to do okay for herself. She she saved those people from Obani. Oh my God, they're going to have such a great life now on Alderaan. Yeah, Alderaan seems rocking and she's got her confidence, you know, and she's going to be great. And everyone who's, you know, not been under a rock and has seen Star Wars goes, this is all going to get blowed up. You guys are so screwed. Yeah, this is all doomed. And you're right, Beth. So every like person that settles on Alderaan, you know, know, like that Will Wheaton story where that guy like sent his daughter to Alderaan. Whenever a character is like going to go to the academy on Alderaan or something to college in Alderaan, you're always like. You're like the person in the movie theater at the horror movie screaming like, don't go in there. Don't, don't, no, don't you send your kid to Alderaan. But I did like seeing it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about it in certain point of view. Like, it's just not something we ever got to see. So it's nice to finally open that up a little bit. Han, we need you. We need? Yes. Well, what about you need? I need. I don't know what you're talking about. Probably not. And what precisely am I supposed to know? Come on. You want me to stay because of the way you feel about me? Yes. You're a great help to us. You're a natural leader. No. That's not it. Come on. Ah, come on. You're imagining things. Am I? Then why are you following me? Fredo's gonna leave without giving you a goodbye kiss? I just assumed he's a Wookiee. I can arrange that. You can use a good kiss. I like Toldo in it. I know she's just Luna Lovegood. You need some comedy in a book like this, you know? I don't know. She's she's pretty brave. (laughs) By the end of it. I think they are kind of setting up the fact that she wouldn't be afraid to die. Yeah. Uh, kind of? Maybe it's clunky. I don't know. I, I, I appreciated it. Yeah, or that she would think about some other maneuver that <laughs> normal captains wouldn't think of. That she would go on to have a maneuver named after her. And that she wouldn't hesitate to have to do it. I don't think we've really talked about old Captain Pancakes. That's what we, that's what we always <laughs> refer to him as in our house around the prequels as Captain Pancakes. It's a, it's a quick scene. It is, but boy, they sure get rid of him and make sure he doesn't need to show up in anything else. Mm-hmm. Is this what established that he became a moth? Yes. I, I never heard it before. Yeah, this is the first time it was mentioned. And it makes total sense. Like at first total you sense. read it and yeah. it like throws you off. Like, oh, I can't believe he's a moth. And then you really think about it and you're like, yeah, I kind of can. Those dirty Jedi came to the planet and Messed everything wrecked up. everything and Sheev's helping us out. Yeah, and he's a very security driven yeah. guy, you know, a militant guy. He's the governor of Naboo, so it's a pretty cushy assignment anyway, right? And then also, yeah, he's got loyal. If his loyalties to Naboo, that's where Palpatine's from. Mm-hmm. Well, and he was also loyal to Padme. And for all he knows, the dirty Jedi killed her off. Makes a lot of sense. But I was a little intrigued. Like, he does figure out that she's uh, Padme's kid in like 30 seconds. Right. But well, nobody else does ever. I don't know. You think about how much time he spent with Padme and their sure. handmaidens. Like, she was from her planet. Vader slept with her. That's true. Leia gives it up way too easily, though, because he's like, so when were you adopted? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. And by who? Hmm? He just like figures it out very quickly. And so Gray's like, well, now we got to kill him. So <laughs> it's OK. He knows because he's about to die. Yeah. But he knows Bale was around Padme a lot. Yeah, I think it makes sense that he would put the pieces together. Or maybe he thinks that it's Bale's kid. Uh Oh, oh, he could. I mean, eventually everybody knew about Anakin and Padme, right? Eventually they were the only people that thought it was a secret <laughs> by the end of the war. Right. It's, it has to be like where every single person knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, Obi, if Obi-Wan knew during half the Clone Wars and didn't shut it down. I think he knows a little bit. No, he does know. But he, he didn't seven. even try to shut it down. But uh, no, I thought it was cool seeing Panaka. I like, yeah, I mean, it closes out that story. I was happy to see a little Krennic, even though they didn't call him by his name. It was clearly <laughs> Krennic. Yeah. That dude in the half cape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that that's like one of his identifiers <laughs> is his half cape. But I just think it's a really good portrait of her character. And Leia's got to be kind of tricky to write because you've got to have the pushiness, I guess, is the right word. Yeah. Without making her annoying or without overloading it. And Gray did a really good job at that. She's got to be kind of a pain in the ass. Mm hmm. But not a bitch. But she's also, but she can even be that. No, but not just like an outright one. She's not, she's never acerbic to be acerbic. No. If she's sassy, she's being sassy for a reason. It's because you're being stupid. Two fighters against a Star Destroyer. When she shows up on crate, she's like, and I'm going to offer them a 16 year old girl who has nothing to give. But here I am, Rebels. She's a rich 16 year old girl. <laughs> that is true. Lots of tutors. I'm sure she had plenty of expensive tutors because there's no mention ever in Star Wars of anyone going to high school. No, you just go to trials. <laughs> you go to trials and then you go straight to the academy, whichever yeah. whichever appropriate academy. A reason she understands Chewbacca. Does she understand Chewie, though? Our faithful droid companion tells us that, uh, oh, no, Princess Leia uh, doesn't speak as fluent Shiruuk. I challenge that. When does she understand Chewie? Well, in this book, it is claimed that she understands their language. I'm challenging the book. It's never shown that she understands what Chewie says until Empire, probably. But that's three years later. Luke understands him now, too. He was a stranger. She wasn't. <laughs> she didn't want to reveal that yet. To me, like the way she treated Chewie in the original movie made it out to be that she's never, you know, encountered a Wookiee before. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? Mm-hmm. As a diplomat, how would she not have encountered a Wookiee before, though? Because the Wookiees are all enslaved. They don't have senators or anything. Wookiees at this time period are not seen. They're either outlaws or they're slaves. They're not represented in the Senate anymore. I did. There was one moment that I thought was kind of heartbreaking after, you know, after Kier dies. She basically says, like, nah, that's it. I'm done with boys. Right. Which ain't bad advice to begin with. She's like, I'm done. I'm done with romance. But then she stops herself and goes, no, I'm done with that until after the fight. Good luck. And then she does briefly find that after the fight. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. She's cursed by her own convictions almost. She could probably, you know, she could easily after Return of the Jedi, like her and Han could go buy a planet somewhere and they can just kind of live in peace and not worry about any of this other nonsense forever. But she can't help but stay in the fight. After the fight, I'll open my heart up again. Don't we have in the comics, didn't we have someone else that she dated? Yes, you're right. There was one other guy. Because it, it's in the, uh, the Star Wars comic after A New Hope because he comes back and helps them. Much like Ahsoka, like, I'm just happy to have a book about this character. Although I do like the fact the Empire keeps, like, using them. 
Mm-hmm. It's more part of uh, what they were talking about in Alphabet Squadron, right? Of like everybody just kind of using every system he possibly can to make people corrupt mm-hmm. and to make people do bad things to the point where, you know, where, you know, if you if you have these senators make enough decisions that ended death, then eventually they're going to become numb to it. And part of this giant idea of like, no, in order to keep this thing going, everybody's got to be shitty. And the people who aren't shitty will get weeded out. Well, one thing this does is give us a reason why Leia should have reacted when Alderaan got destroyed, besides just going, uh, no, don't. I mean, your whole damn planet. You can't stop your adventure movie <laughs> for, for her to completely collapse as a human being. I did, I mean, I did, I thought it was at the end of this book where it said the whole, after Kira dies, the whole flight home, she cried. Like, that was a very, like, not something you actually hear from Leia that often mm-hmm. in private, and this is her first time dealing with something like this. Notable, she still doesn't shoot anybody in this, I don't think, right? But she learns how to shoot. Yeah, she learns, but she never actually does it. Still never does. I still think the first time she ever pulls the trigger is on that stormtrooper. Is there another book after this? Or is that better left to kind of the imagination and just things said here and there? Yes, there is another book, but I think it's wrapped up with what everything else we want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the the birth of the rebellion. I mean, if if Rogue One is the rebellion's like kind of coming out party. You know, Scarif, that's what Scarif is. It's the first major conflict. We want to see that story of the rebellion being built. She's going to be a part of that. So I think there is more book there. I mean, she said she's got three years. She's not even a senator yet. Like I said, I definitely want to see her and Vader meet. I want more Bail and Bria because they're going to die. We know they're going to die. We know they have a timeline. We know what happens to Leia eventually also, but we know so much more about her and we don't know as much about Bail and Bria. And honestly, they're brave as hell because they're risking their whole damn planet. Rereading this did make me more excited to see more Mon Mothma on Andor. Yeah. Yeah. I like what they're doing with her character, that she's even more of a hard-ass than we've previously seen. You mean that she's finally a character? Yeah, well, yeah. Even in Return of the Jedi, though, I think you do get the impression you don't want to mess with her. The Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoints the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans die bring us this information Mm -hmm. like the way she delivers but you also don't know who she is no that is true and that was always weird as a kid (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you get there are all these movies and all of a sudden this this uh, woman with short hair and a lobster man <laughs> and then this gray haired guy are breaking down the entire plan. You're like and, and you know, as you as you learn, they're like, oh, the alliance is much bigger than what we've seen before. Wait, Leia's the away team? How's this? Work? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Like this isn't I mean, even Maydeen, that's the first time you see Maydeen. Mm-hmm. And he gives his little speech. Yeah, it is. It is nice to see more of her. But I think even in that moment, you're like, oh, this is someone who is calm and is ready to make the hard decisions. I think you do get that from her in Jedi. I did love that moment where Mon Mothma's like, this is cute. You're bringing me proof of Palpatine's corruption. And you think that's going to do what? <laughs> I think we don't know that already. And, and that's more pushing Leia towards the idea that, no, we're going to have to pick up guns here. 
This isn't something we can PR our way out of. Peace was never an option. No, it's not. <laughs> but that's also you know? what could make this a YA book is that the adults are useless. They're not doing anything. I'm oh, the only yeah. one who can save us all. Or any 80s kids movie. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that is under kind of an undercurrent of the whole thing is this coming violence. Mm -hmm. No one wants it, but some people are slower to accept that it's inevitable. Bale seems to be, and I said it makes sense because of Bale's experience in the Clone Wars. He's less anxious to dive into that. But you would think that Bale would know diplomat's not going to work. I mean, you know, he watched the kid get shot down on the (laughs) bridge He's fooling himself, too. Yeah. Maybe he, and even admits that. There's times where he even admits, like, you know, we know we're being naive. We know we can't keep her safe, you know, but let us pretend. Because if we can't even pretend that, that we can keep her safe, then we can't do this. Mm-hmm. They have to rationalize it to themselves. Yes, we're putting everyone in danger, but we're doing everything we can to save her, even though they know none of that's going to matter. But they even say at the end, like, if this wasn't as big as it was, we would never put you in danger. <laughs> But we can't ignore this. And this is going to happen. And it is a great moment at the end when she shows up at the at the base and Bale's kind of like, I guess you're one of us now. Do you think Bale told Leia that he's an evil space wizard? No. Nah, that's putting her in too much danger. I mean, maybe not tell her the Anakin thing. Maybe like, yeah, look, that dude can shoot lightning and do all sorts of crazy stuff. So watch out. (laughs) He's obviously told her something about the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And he eventually tells her a little bit about Kenobi. I still think he's keeping that really close to the chest. I don't know. Maybe he thinks that's his last trump card or something. That's the, the I, I don't know. But it does seem like he's keeping it close to his chest still. Or that was part of his plan when he sent her to Obi-Wan. was like, look, he can tell you all this stuff. That's his problem. Ask him about your mom. Was Bale's intention to send just to send her to Obi-Wan? I think it was. Yeah. Partially. There's no other reason to send Leia. Other than like, I guess he trusts her. Yeah, that's what it's that's what that's the line in Rogue One, right? He trusts her and he knows that Obi-Wan will trust her as well. She is an indicator to Obi-Wan that he means business. Yeah, that's a good point. Bale would come himself, that's fine. If Bale can't come himself, who else is he gonna send? But if he sends Leia, Obi-Wan's like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> oh, it's on. I do think I wanna would love to see a book or two in here just to work on that trust between the two of them. I'm a sucker for a good father-daughter story. So like, you know, to see them go from where they're at at the end of this book to becoming legitimate co-conspirators. Uh, him realizing how valuable she is. You know, I think I think we could actually get a pretty cool story out of the two of them learning their roles and working together. But of course, every single bit of that is just going to be another dagger in your heart. <laughs> yeah, there's also like a super depressing book that takes place right after Revenge of the Sith where like, He's got his dead friend's baby. Everyone he knows is dead and the dictator is taken over. He's like, oh, God. See, I, you know, we are getting some of that now on Bad Batch, right? We're getting that, not bail yet, but we're getting that aftermath of the Clone Wars that I think is the next, at least seems seems like one of the new areas that Filoni's interested in. All right. Well, here's my question is if Yoda, from what we've read recently, wanted to train Leia all along. Why didn't he take Leia to Dagobah? Why did Bale take her in the first place? Dagobah is not a suitable place to raise a child. Well, he could have taken her anywhere. There are snakes everywhere. He could have taken her to a non-snake plant. He could have taken her to Space Ireland. It's because Lucas didn't come up with it till he was right in the movie. Force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. My sister has it. 
because yeah. <laughs> he came up with the sister thing at the last minute. Like, I don't know. Like, it's, you know, we joke about JJ not having a plan. It's not that George had a complete plan. He had a, an outline of a plan. Yes, there, those are logic things that you're correct. <laughs> but Well, Yoda was planning on going to learn how to talk to Qui-Gon, <laughs> which took him 19 years. Apparently. And it apparently takes everyone else all of five minutes to figure out. <laughs> Fucking force ghost. <laughs> if he had just left it at a disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I got no problem with Obi-Wan whispering in his ear to turn off his targeting computer. Luke, trust me. You know, like, all right, that's cool. Although, that would be a great book if Yoda did take Leia and she's like just this feral swamp child. <laughs> <laughs> Flinging snakes at people. <laughs> No lightsaber, just flipping snakes. Oh, yeah. She doesn't have a lightsaber. She hasn't trimmed her nails in her entire life. (laughs) She kills people like she's X-23 or something. She's like Jodie Foster from Nell. (laughs) From Nell. Sure. Yeah. Just grunting and flicking. Listen, there is an argument to be made that Obi-Wan and Yoda should have taken the twins and gone and hit somewhere and trained them. Mm-hmm. And while they're at it, they could have got a hold of uh, Cal Kestis and Ahsoka Tano and uh, Quinlan Voss and Kanan Jarrus and all the other Jedi that have survived and put together a little band. They didn't know about the rest. They knew about the two kids they had in front of them. Well, there's an alternate one, too, where they look at Anakin's children and go, nope, and throw them right out the airlock. The end. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need more of these. Yeah. Hope your yeah. midichlorians can help you breathe. See ya. <laughs> Which, in Last Jedi, we learned, yeah, they apparently, do. <laughs> they, they do. Yeah, so that wouldn't have even worked. <laughs> Little baby Leia would have put her arm out and flown through space. <laughs> It's not terrible that she could use the force to protect herself in space. It's that it's, it's that it looks really stupid. Uh, <laughs> that it looks stupid. That's all. <laughs> Here's the biggest problem with that moment, honestly, though. When that movie came out, she had already passed away. And so when you have that moment in that movie, everyone in the audience goes, did they just fucking kill her? Like, it, it was a real moment of mm-hmm. like, is this how they're killing her off? Because, you know, she's dead in real life. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of waiting to see, did they take care of it in this movie? Is she going to be in the next movie? And they have this moment where it looks like Leia dies and you're like, too soon. <laughs> I don't want to see this. You know, yeah, it was not really, cool. It was really not cool. And then, you know, that's not fair to them. That was always part of the story. My brother looked at me and he was like, is this how they're going to do it? <laughs> I was like, I don't hope. I hope not. Definitely would be down for another volume of this. But it seems like uh, Claudia's got her hands full with uh, there's already. I don't know if you've seen there's already reviews coming out for High Republic. Oh. There's chapters out of it already. Yeah, I'm not touching any of that. But no, I'm not. But Sewell has been saying like they've already been getting good reviews and stuff. Mm -hmm. I blame myself for uh, ruining Game of Thrones because I read the spoiler chapters and then the books never came out. So I'm not reading any spoiler chapters again. At least, you know, these books are coming out unless I read the spoiler chapters when in which case I don't know. Have you actually read some of those chapters of Winds of Winter? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of them. Oh, really? Which half of them probably don't make the book half of them were in season six have y'all looked at the and i never say it right the mad magma you know the japanese comics manga manga have y'all looked at the manga of this of this no 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 the art is actually pretty good it's worth looking at it's a fairly long series, isn't it? Yeah, and they have, I think they've only released the first volume of The Leia Princess of Alderaan. Like, it's not finished yet. Don't move! I love you. I know. Hands up! 
Stand up! So far, our next story, we will be reading the prequel story, Catalyst, which is the story about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. <laughs> story. It's a prequel story. <laughs> a Star to... Wars story about a Star Wars story? What? It's a Star Wars story that's a prequel to a Star Wars story yeah. that's a prequel to Star Wars. Yeah, it is an excellent novel by Mr. James Lucino. I can't say it today. Lucino. <laughs> oh, it happens with, you know, the Death Star or so, blah, 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 blah. Krennic and his short capes are the main stories. If you even remotely like Rogue One, it's this book makes it even better. Well, join us next time as we continue our little mini Road to Star Wars and might I say that uh, if I'd read Catalyst and Rebel Rising before I saw Rogue One, I would have felt not a lot differently about the movie, but I would have felt a lot differently about the characters. Did I just buy a Nissan Rogue based on my love of Rogue One? <laughs> I told my wife no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, where's your metal decal? Uh, right next to the Rogue symbol on the back of it. <laughs> yeah. But when I see your wife at Dragon Con... I mean, you're not not licking toads. <laughs> so Beth can sign us off in a moment. I signed us off ten minutes ago. <laughs> oh, that's right, you did. There you did. Okay, all right. So let's let's stop. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger!